Welcome to the Finding Yeezus After Show for Episode 6. A huge episode. A huge episode. Huge, mongous episode. Absolutely huge. I'm Cameron James. I'm joined by Alexi Toliopoulos. How are you, Lex? I'm very well, thank you. I'd like to state that I am a co-presenter of the YouTube series, mm. Finding Yeezus. Um, and I take my role as a presenter or host of that show very seriously. I um, would like to say, with all due respect, that I disagree. I do not consider you to be a presenter or a host. I consider you to be a um, comedian mm-hmm. and an investigative journalist. So- That's Nice of you to say, but I think it's many presentational work okay. for me. All right. So you consider yourself sort of like an Osher Gunsberg type. Yes, just- absolutely. <laughs> or for anyone listening overseas, Orion Seacrest. That's who I deem myself to be. I deem myself to be the next Orion Seacrest. I'd love to host shows. I hope to host um, perhaps, you know, product shows where you are showing off products around the world going like, how like awesome on the shopping is this? network or something. I'd love to do that. That's mainly what I want to do. So I like think Joan Rivers. A lot of people have been sending me messages going, I love your presentational style. Have you ever thought about becoming a presenter? And I'm like, honey, I am a presenter. I will do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, but you know how I feel about the word presenter and about the word host, but I'm going <laughs> to zip it and I'm going to just forge ahead with you. <laughs> I'm very excited about this after show we've got coming up. David is, as we know, one of the great interviewers mm-hmm. of our times. He has a wonderful turn of phrase. He also n- digs right to the core. He, you know, he structures the show in such a way. He's very good at that. But he has more to offer than just being a interviewer slash presenter. He mm-hmm. is also a creative individual. And an archivist. Yes. Unlike myself, I'm only a presenter. Yeah, that's true. You have no creativity at all. (laughs) But I'm very excited to uh, get into this episode. Um, I mean, it's been very nice to have this series come out. And uh, sincerely, from both of us, thank you to everyone that's been on this ride with us, on this journey with Finding Jesus. It's been very touching to receive so many nice messages about the finale coming out because, you know, the finale, it's nerve-wracking, you know. We we don't know what it's going to be like until people receive it, you know. So, it's been mm. sincerely so freaking beautiful to see people respond to it like this. We're very touched and very moved. Very touched, very moved. It's been, uh, it's been overwhelming. I'm looking forward to having a little scroll through the comments on the video later on and um, I respond to people every now and then because it's, yeah, it's quite nice. It's like, you know, people are, people are engaging and that's so cool. Thanks so much for listening to this show as well and hearing mm. us. Let's plug, um, let's plug some of David's stuff before we dive into this mm. episode. I'd like to draw special attention to the Neue Estate, which is a, uh, a website and a publishing house that David is an archivist of. Mm-hmm. Um, the Neue Estate publishes all the books of Todd Neu. David mm-hmm. um, has been restoring those faithfully through the Absolutely. years. Yeah, sometimes uh, these are just written on little scraps of paper and he turns them into books somehow. Yeah, and uh, so please check out the com. Also, there's a, a book 
currently being released by that website, not from Todd Noy Archives, but from mm. a man called Robert Swift, who is a virtual reality expert mm-hmm. and uh, has written a speculative science fiction film, uh, story called Back, which yeah. is about simulated realities and alternate dimensions. Uh, David would like us to plug that as well. I think yeah, I'm, I'm excited cool. to read that. I'm really excited to read back. I mean, you and I are Robert Swift fans, and yeah. I've got a hard copy of it. I've just started mm-hmm. reading it. It's pretty freaking crazy. It's awesome. Um, and that's you can get think I get that for free uh, an ebook version of it on the Noyer State. Also, yep. David is a beautiful, wonderful musician. Um, his band Explorer Society has this beautiful album called Spheres, and it's very cinematic music, very very beautiful. Um, if you like what we do, if you love David, you should check it out. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and stuff, so you can purchase that there. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to our other new collaborator, Clara Hope. Clara has been so generous with us, letting us kind of share her story and cherish her work and celebrate her work. And her music is so atmospheric and so beautiful and so unique and strange. And we could only really give you a little taste of it in the documentary itself. Mm. And hopefully that encourages you to go out and explore and like discover her music for yourself as well, because it is... It's quite special. You can find her website, Clara Hope. They've got all the links to her band camp. You can find her music on Spotify as well. She's on clarahope.com. Uh, her band camp is clarahope.bandcamp.com. Uh, her SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash clarahope. Mm-hmm. And Instagram is clara.hope.music. And, yeah, we're big fans. She's our new buddy. Um, please yeah. check out her stuff, support her art. It's very exciting when we discover people like Clara mm. or David or Sydney Ling and then we realize we have a whole archive to dig back into and we can check out all of their stuff. So please check out all of Clara's stuff. She's releasing stuff all the time and it's all fucking cool. Absolutely. Shall we get into the show with David? Let's do it. Hello listeners, it's David here giving you a sincere welcome to my den, may I say. Nestled here amongst the classic books of Todd Noy, sheathed by the comfort of his wisdom, I have had the coziest vantage point to watch the great web season Finding Jesus. And guess what? It's time for the wrap-up party. The phoenix has emerged from the ashes and into our hearts. We have received the gift, that is, Clara Hope. It's time to pack the case notes in manila folders, loosen our collars, clock off, raise a glass to the ace investigators. Another job well done. Yo, Alexi. Yo, Cam. You did it. Welcome. <laughs> yo, David. Yo, David. <laughs> it's the rare time in the world where you hear the word sheath and it's not referring to a um, prophylactic, which is mm. nice. I know that's probably the greatest change since the days of yore. Usually sheathing is used for swords and battle Mm. items, but now it is mainly used for sexual intercourse. Putting some kind of rubber Mm -hmm. item over one's um, unmentionable areas. And in Australia, we only use rubber prophylactics. Yeah, we use pure rubber. And when (laughs) the rubber meets the road, you know you're in for a hell of a time. Well, here I simply use it to describe the joy of being surrounded by classic literature. Um, 
Gents, <laughs> today's a, a very special episode, and it's such an honour to be hosting the show um, following what has been a miraculous discovery, a wonderful discovery brought to the screens of YouTube. We have finally got to meet Clara Hope. We finally met the creator of this wonderful game and uh, magical cult. I'll just remind everyone of the format. I've got a few pre-prepared questions of my own. We've got some great questions from the fans. They've had a chance to watch and reflect on the series. And we're going to take a little trip down old memory lane for our episode walkthrough. So if you're all set, I'm going to dive right in and begin with the Inquisition. Are you ready, boys? All set, David. Standing by. Okay. Clara touches on this in the episode in terms of why they decided to confess now at this, at this time. They, they sort of give an impression that people have been hunting for this for a long time and they, 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 they sort of said, well, you know, enough, enough's enough, it's time to reveal. But why do you think that Clara decides to confess to you guys specifically? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. We sort of asked that and um, she doesn't really give a straight answer, but I think... I I think maybe Auntie Donna was part of mm. it. I feel like um, if we were just two random schmoes, maybe it would have been less of, uh, you know, less likely that she would have been that excited to talk to us. Maybe having Auntie Donna behind us gave us a little bit of internet cred. Um, and I would say mind. as well, not just internet cred, but because of like the kind of humor that they do and like how they're known as people... You know, it's not like we were attached to like some edge lords YouTubers. We're attached to like the nicest, friendliest, weirdest people. So I think it probably would imply there's some sensitivity there. You know that it's not just like going to be the stupidest documentary. It's going to be one of the stupidest documentaries, but with like uh, it's, it's hard in the right place. <laughs> I mean, maybe the fact that we'd gone through harmless as well as, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was a nice thing because it kind of reconnected the two of them. And I don't know. I assume harmless said some nice things about us as well. Like, Oh, yeah. they're okay. They're decent guys. They're not scumbags. They're not, they were, you know, they're nice, they're cool, they're chill, they're funny, they're sexy, stuff they're like that. They're beautiful, they're very handsome. Yeah, I imagine that Harmless would have said things like that, yeah. And I, I think as well, like, while we go out and talk to all these people, we often go, hey, we've done this before, so if you want to check it mm. out. Um, and I think, you know, most people do check out Finding Drago, they see how we talk to you, and they're like, oh, okay, this is... These guys are, they're the right people to do stuff like this with. We meant, you touched on this in your answer, but I think it's so interesting to what, what you do. How do you ensure that the interviewee, that the subject feels and is celebrated and it doesn't feel trolled? Um, you delve into some pretty weird spaces. Um, uh, mm. Thinking of Sydney Ling, for example, you know some pretty, pretty wild stuff. Uh, how do you, how mm. do you, how do you ensure that it's that your mission is clear uh, to to celebrate and uncover and share, and how do you make the interviewee feel feel comfortable about that and and really get a sense of it? That's a really good question. I think there's a few. I mean, we're pretty honest. Like, we tell them what we're making and uh, what our point of view is. We don't really hide too much from them before going into the interview. And 
we do tell them, I think I remember telling you this, uh, especially in the lead up to the final interview with me and you in Finding Drago, uh, but it's also what we told Clara was because you're, we're interviewing you, you have the most power in the interview because you can choose what you want to reveal. Um, if we ask you a question you don't feel like answering, you don't have to answer it. And we kind of just like, especially if people have never been interviewed before, that's just the kind of like setup that we give them or the, the like a little workshop or whatever that we give them is just like, you have all the power here. Um, you're in control of this. And uh, we could give that up and give that away to them. Like when we first t- start talking to them and before we sit down, we kind of reiterate that as well. And uh, with Clara as well, she put on this concert for us. That was how we met her, uh, was this concert at this great venue in Adelaide with these giant LED screens that she animated, Mm. uh, the Ascensionism logo and all its like glitching animation and put those up on there. So we basically spent like a whole day with Clara already, like her playing us music. She played us, I think like- We had lunch as well. Yes, we had lunch and we talked over lunch like the whole time, just with without getting into the story too much and just more talking about- Music. Art. You could ask the same question of yourself, David. What did we do for you? Because you were really the blueprint for all of mm. it. Uh, and maybe it was more- your generosity in the way that you um, were so funny and open-hearted with us in that final episode of Drago that then set the tone for how we wanted to go about doing these in the future. So why don't you turn your interviewer's microphone on yourself and ask yourself the same question. What did we do to make you feel comfortable and uh, to ensure that it was coming from the right place? I'm just going to ask myself that question now. I don't need to do it audibly. I've got a direct line from my mind through to another mm. part of my mind. So I'll just do that now. You know what? The, the whole time I, I, I was always just a little bit anxious that I was sort of on the block, so to speak. Um, we'd, been, we'd been doing this for a long time, the to and fro, and, and it was really clear that we were, mm-hmm. we were playing a, a fun game and it was always very... Giving every every time something was thrown out, it came back in the same sort of uh, creative way from from YouTube. So I, so I knew I was amongst friends and I was in a safe place. But I also thought it ne- it only takes one uh, one take of of a situation to go for an easy an easy gag or something, and the whole thing could mm-hmm. could be oh no I'm I, I'm now definitely a bit of a laughing stock for this um and that was always a little mm. bit of a worry um that said i think you did everything you possibly could do to just keep reaffirming uh that and you also off you know always saying well we will you sent me a really short clip right at the start of a uh, a couple of minutes of the first episode and so I said, look, this is this is the vibe it's sort of in, inquisitive we want to find out more about what's um what's being done you know once the once you'd done started recording mm. after all those years so it was you know that that definitely um that definitely made me feel at ease but i i, I think and i would say for clara and for ling there is something about coming forward with this and this is perhaps why these stay secret for so long just you want 
you want to preserve it in the way where it's it, it, it's fun and everybody engages it within a positive way and um yeah you guys definitely did and it comes across in this episode i think so perfectly so yeah that's that's my answer i'm now going to switch modes again back into interviewer <laughs> How did you feel before going into this interview? You've helped actually set out that you you got to spend you got to spend a day getting to know Clara and kind of hanging out and maybe that will have helped just just set a tone and set the scene. Mm. But were you nervous? Were you? I mean, uh, Bradley had given you a and, and and Clara had given you a full kind of confession at this point. So how did you feel? Yeah. Intrigued? Nervous? I still think there. You know. We, we wouldn't have been surprised if it all fell over at some point, you know. It's nerve-wracking with this stuff because the person that you're hoping to interview that could end the whole series could just say, actually, I don't really want to talk or I feel a bit uncomfortable or maybe I'd rather keep the mystery alive sort of thing. So uh, even though we did hang out with Clara all day and we had lunch and, you know, listened to her music and we were chatting and laughing and a lot of joking, there was still in the back of my mind a part of me that was thinking, you know, what if after lunch she just says, actually, I'm not really into it. Can we call it off? So, you know, there is a high a high stress to it. It's not really until we're sitting opposite each other and she interviews herself and says, quite literally, I created the game Kanye Quest 3030 that I relaxed. And I think you can see it in the video. You see the moment where she says that Alexi and I both like basically start laughing because we're mm. just like, oh, thank God. It's like, <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was nice. I think that that's how the viewers felt. That, that joyous uh, relief and a welcome clarity of confession as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like a cathartic moment to like go, there's all this build up to this. And like, there's a lot of build up in the show, but in the making of it, the build up is humongous. Even before we went in, where it's huge, humongous build up. Humongous. Massive. Massive built up, but we were like in this corridor before we go into meet Clara. We're like getting mic'd up, and um, the rest of the crew has all met her, and like they mm. keep coming out to check on us. They all have the biggest smiles. So I'm just kind of like, okay, so at least I know they like Clara. They think that she's fun because they're all like smiling and they're like. That must mean that they're pleased with what's going on. It was just a fun, exciting vibe. It was so exciting, so mm. fun. And we're just pacing around this corridor, getting mic'd up before we, like, get ready to go in. Um, and, like, they, the crew kind of just kept us in the dark, but they were all smiling and, like, excited to go, okay, so I felt at ease a little bit. But that excitement builds up to be some kind of... Like that excited nervousness, like good nervousness, mm. where you just go, I think everything's in place to be good. I hope that it is good. I hope that I can like deliver the goods. And I'd say in the interview, my tummy was making lots of noises because it was just <gasps> after lunch. I forgot about that. 
I was like really, <laughs> I was nervous and excited. <laughs> so my tummy that. was like making so much noise. Yeah, so I was right. like making me you more nervous. You kept apologizing. I forgot. You kept going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's, none of that's in the episode. <laughs> none but of that's in like the episode. It was like really loud. It, Alexis' yeah. stomach kept going like. And I'm shocked it didn't get picked up on the microphones. Absolutely (laughs) shocked because it was it was quite loud. It was surprisingly loud. Yeah, it was just and it was just so frustrating. But also like I I think it was because I was like you know nervous because we've only we've got we have to get get back to Melbourne after doing this, so we've Mm. got limited time and. This episode was so important because we swap modes from being like an investigative documentary to being a portrait documentary. And that's kind mm. of like how we always think of the final episode because it's an interview. It's about finding some kind of truth out there. So it becomes a portrait documentary where you kind of, you know, a portrait documentary, very common type of documentary. Usually it's some an interview and someone's making a cup of tea in the <laughs> B-roll that they cut around to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But it's which, just that. Which did happen in this case as well, although we didn't film it. We didn't but film yeah, it. It's just like in someone's house, <laughs> talking about someone's life. Yeah. yeah, and it's just kind of like you really want to honour that person when you make that mm. kind of documentary. And so I was just like, I hope we get all the right questions. I hope I'm not forgetting something. I hope I don't, um, you know, like... I interviews I love doing them but they are like a bit of a pressure situation because you just want to make it nice and make it good also I'll just say this as well before we move on from this question in season one finding Drago we got the most perfect ending with your admission David it's like it's like everything everyone wanted and it's probably mm. the, a big part of the reason that show blew up in the way that it did is because of the ending that you provided Season two, Sydney Ling would never, never confess. So uh, that ending is more of a gotcha, like us just kind of picking apart inconsistencies in his story and a couple of turns of phrase where he, you know, seems like he's basically admitting it without saying that he's a liar. And then, so we started thinking, what if David was a white whale? What if there's no more people Mm. like that? What if everyone else we talk to is a bit more elusive and like Sydney and even though it's satisfying, it's still, it's still, there's a part of you that's like, oh, I wish they just said it. I wish they would just Mm. say it. So, you know, there was also those nerves. What if, what if we turn the cameras on and Clara becomes elusive and won't say anything? So it was very cool that she just wanted to talk and was just very open about it and very honest and it, it made us relax a lot once that started happening it's hard to pinpoint a reason why your subjects have created these worlds or myths um it's but when but when you do uncover it it sort of emerges that there's often not a master plan or agenda rhyme or reason for anything um um it seems to be the case certainly you know with the with the noy thing and definitely with 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 clara so how would you define that sort of common motive? You know, these portraits that you're creating, these, these, this stuff comes into the world and it seems to just have this, you know, I, I can't remember how 
uh, Clara describes it as just sort of wanting to create some chaos. How would you define that motive mm. behind the kind of things that um, that you like to hunt? I often think about it as, especially when making Finding Drago, I think because that sets so much of the tone, the theme of that whole piece for me eventually became about creativity for creativity's sake without an ulterior motive creativity for like the pure act of creating and a pure act for um the artistic output at the end to exist rather than there being any kind of ulterior motive of like you know money financial gain or anything like that at the end and i think it's very very pure it's a very very pure form of creativity and i think the MO for Cameron and I so far has been about like celebrating creativity and celebrating like the need for creation. And I think that is so much of like why we look at these things and why we, why we want to investigate them because we want to celebrate this work that goes uncelebrated. You know what? It it can't, I feel like there's a real similarity between the two of you in that you were both just having fun Mm. And that was that seemed to be a real primary goal of yours. And it's, you were having fun not only creating your work but also building the mythology around it and mucking around with us. I feel like Clara was doing that with the internet audience that were reading into um, like the story that she'd created and adding their own mythos to it. Also, we don't really get into it in the episode, but it is a game that she was playing. It is an ARG, an alternate reality game. So she was she was contacting people pretty regularly, people that were in touch with her through the game. She was sending cryptic messages to and sending people on strange little missions around where they lived, you know, like she'd research where they lived and stuff and go like, go to this bridge and take a photo and stuff like that. And so it was like a little bit, clearly she was just enjoying the fun of having people trying to uncover what the whole mystery was all about, much like you were having fun. And I think Sydney was as well. So I think that's Mm. something that we're drawn to. Like when you can tell there's a sense of kind of cheeky play going on, um, we feel like, at very least, we'll be in safe hands when it comes to finally talking to that person. And um, hopefully they'll, you know, be wanting to play with us as well. I think that's the key. Like the key word is play. Like so much of what we do, it's playful. And it's like playing a game with people um, because the stakes are so low. It's all about like making them feel bigger by the play of it all. And it is a little bit of that cat and mouse. It is a little bit of that, but all of that's for show. And that's because that's just the way that we, you engage people is like, you want to have fun with other people out there in the world. Like that's, to me, I think that's a bit of a default setting. Most people want to have a fun time in their life. And so that's just like how these conversations go. It's like, it's very playful. Absolutely. And the fun never stops as well. Even in the Neue State, it, it continues. There is a lot of uh, participatory action. I found myself in many a hedge smuggling Neue books uh, to <laughs> mysteriously land on doorsteps. Um, a related question, we'll call this the Charler effect. So much of what happened with Ascensionism was about how it was just interpreted by 
those uh, that found the game and, and, and enjoyed it in a participatory way. Uh, it seemed to develop a life of its own and it grew its own culture and rule system. Seems as though Clara never really defined it. She just created a place, a, a seed for it to grow out of and it found its own way through people just chipping in and playing mm. along. And I loved this line that Clara said. Some people were role-playing, maybe some people believed, but when you're on the internet, it's hard to tell the difference. Um, mm. Could you just ex- ex- expand on expand on that, expand on the idea of the... I'd never heard of this term before, the... the org, what was it? AIG. It's like alt- alternate reality games or augmented reality games, which is like games... Uh, that are in the real world that intersect with uh, with online uh, storylines. Yeah, it sort of reminds me most of you know that game that people play Werewolf or um, mm. there's other versions of it too where it's, it's like called you, Mafia in some places. Yeah, Mafia. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, it's yeah, um, know a group it. of friends sitting around. One of you has been designated as the werewolf or whatever, and uh, mm. the rest of you are trying to figure out who it is just by basically living, like just asking questions and having conversations and stuff like that. It sort of reminds me of that, where everyone is knows there's a mo- knows there's like a game at play, but there's no defined rules, so you just have to kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. Based on like your instinct and by like kind of being human, they can't. Uh, ARGs sort of remind me of that in that like they're just evolving, they're constantly changing. You can push up against the rules and you can like rebel against them and change them, and the person who's in charge can also bend with the with your you know pressure and uh, decide or not decide how much they want to reveal. So I feel I think the ARG that Clara was playing was essentially the one that we're investigating. Is this a mm. cult? And people were trying to find out. Excuse me, are you a cult? Excuse me, Phoenix, are you? Is this a cult? Mm. And Clara would say, "I'll give you some answers, but first you have to do some things for me," sort of thing, mm. and send people on missions and embedded weird little QR codes into things, and people would just kind of go along with them sometimes, sometimes rebel against it, and there was an, an end goal in sight. But I think, uh, as she explained to us, and you don't really see this in the interview, eventually she just got bored of it because <laughs> it was taking up too much time. <laughs> and so she just sort of bailed on it. Yeah, and it's kind of like an evolving end goal as well where yeah. it keeps changing because what she's interested in changes. I remember she even told us that like people would leave clues out in the real world, like either on her yeah. um, challenge or orders, but also just because they wanted to keep the mystery and the game alive and they would like yeah. message her pictures of going like, here's um, something that I've put out there. I left and a scroll you- under this staircase in um, yeah. Belgium or something. Yeah, I think there was one that she said that someone left a clue inside a police station in Amsterdam. And I was mm. like, that's so fun. That's so cool. Um, and even on her Instagram, she posted a picture uh, like we're an album of like some more like because people were go, uh, messaging her go where's all the evidence or something mm. and so she posted this album on Instagram of all the 
all the reality stuff that she had out there, like her putting some clues in places, um, some, uh, stuff that is so unique only to the mystery of Ascensionism and Kanye Quest 3030. And it's really cool to see because that was stuff that we didn't even get to see um, until we were later talking to her. Mm. Um and little extra little things like that, um, like post-interview stuff. So it's just really, really cool to see like how like far and wide the story went with her, like how much she got to play around with like these, um, you know, fans and followers. And, you know, there's a lot more stuff that we couldn't really fit in because we want to tell a very linear and direct kind of story. But, you know, she made like a whole other game that incorporated um, smaller elements of the story. It's called Calypso. And there's been some other writing about Calypso, but it just didn't really fit into the linear story that we wanted to tell. Calypso is crazy. Calypso is really crazy. Yeah, because there used to be at one point there was a hotline number that was set up for Ascensionism that you could call and leave voice messages on and kind of ask for missions from Phoenix. And Calypso, this other game that she made maybe six years after Kanye Quest, incorporates voice messages that were left on that Hotmail number. So at certain points through the game, they just start playing through your speakers and you can just hear regular folks' voices saying things like, I've done the challenge. I've uh, I've left the thing over here in uh, Amsterdam. I'm waiting for further instructions, and then it goes and cuts away to something else. It's really strange. Oh, this, it's really, really cool. Shit. And it, it, it would have been cool to do it at one point. It was baked into was, this show was we were going to yeah. talk about Calypso, and we're going to play some of the voice messages, but it just got too hectic. We just couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it becomes a complication rather than um the direct thing and i mean it was fun i remember writing it down into our plans and finding Mm. like really exciting dramatic moments with it and especially in the kind of like matrix recreation place there was like a cool little scene that i envisioned there but it just the story changed and we kind of felt like direct and linear was the way to go because we had so many freaking suspects coming in and so many things like that. It just would have made, it would have complicated the narrative as received by the audience, but it was truly like, while we were making it, it was like, oh, this is the crazy part. This is the exciting Mm. part. This is a selling point. But then it just, it was selling point to us. Um, But then we're just like, oh, you know what? This story is so good. We don't need to add this extra complication in. It, it, and it, it's just evident from the um, it's just evident from from what Clara did reveal in the interview, even the amount of stories within the story, and mm. you get you get a strong sense. And it's the same with the Noya State. There's just layers and layers of crazy, fun, wacky things that have happened mm. that just they, they they just happen within the, within within that world. And there's mm. too many to tell mm. them all, but they're all great. And the but the overall impression you get from Clara's endeavors is one she's just super creative, just so much going on, L- mm. loves loves to uh, loves to bend reality and um, sort of uh, get people in, involved in these weird and wacky tech based, music based, game based. Um, uh, it's it's fantastic. 
How do we feel about a fan question? I've got a fan question coming for you. We will. We consent yeah, to the fan it. question. Uh, Edward Rose. I, I think I know the answer to this. I certainly got a sense of what the answer to this is. When you started this mystery, how confident were you of solving it? And was there a chance that you would commit time and money and come away no wiser? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, no, we didn't know. We didn't know much. We mm-hmm. launched into it. With maybe, we'd gotten about 50% of the way through the investigation. So we'd hit a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew we would be able to talk to Ballarat Nick at very least, which seemed Mm -hmm. like that was going to be the end game for quite a while. And then when it became clear that it wasn't, we dug a little deeper. We got as far as Bradley, aka Harmless Tank, and we assumed that that would be the end for quite a while we thought once we get to bradley we won't get any further because i'd been texting uh harmless and he'd been saying yeah i don't i'm not in touch anymore i'm not in touch with phoenix i don't know how to get in touch with them so we kind of planned on the interview with harmless being the very end and before that it was the ending was at oloski for really yeah that's true yeah for a long time we were we thought maybe that'll be the end. We'll talk to A.T. or Lowski and they'll say, they'll confess, but we won't be able to find, you know, um, his collaborator. So we, yeah, it was a bit intense. I mean, it wasn't until Harmless says in episode five, um, by the way, I've uh, found Clara, that we realized we had the ending that we needed. We were like, truly, you see the shock in our faces. We are very shocked. Mm. So, yeah, we launched into it kind of blind and just hoped, I guess. And that's all you can yeah. do with these things. You've got to fucking have a little bit of hope, like President Barack Hussein Obama used to say, mm-hmm. hope. The audacity of hope. Exactly, of course. And, I, you know, that's the same for each one of these. We had no idea where it would go. And, like, you know, we kind of, with Finding Drago, we kind of knew that you would be involved in some way, but we didn't know to what extent. And then with the search for Lord Sidney Ling, I mean, we, he's still one of the greatest shocks in my life that we ever freaking talked to that guy. Like, I <laughs> I think that's really crazy that we talked to him. And this one, I thought we had no hope of solving, to be honest. Like, uh, almost the entire way through, I thought we had no hope because other people had tried and they'd failed. So I really, I genuinely thought we had no way of getting there. And even towards the end, I thought that everything was wrong, that we had been searching. Like, I thought, oh, there's no way they're Australian. Like, how are Mm. we going to... Like that all that all seemed so implausible because it's like how is this so possible? But then you kind of make this. I made this realization that because I think we could only solve it because we are Australian, and the internet being slightly localized leads the clues to being solvable by us. I, hmm. I, I should clarify because I think I expect we'll have listeners over. In America and elsewhere, UK, Australia's Google only returns, there's about 40 websites. So it's a much smaller (laughs) internet, the Australian internet. Um, There's a lot of good stuff in there, but... but it is definitely a more contained localized web web server. Um, sorry, being a tech, I'm very much interested in technology. And, yeah, you know, take it for granted sometimes that people people know 
um, <laughs> this stuff. Okay, next question. I was going to ask this as the last question of the whole thing, but I think it'd be a nice one to to ask now before we go into the walkthrough. What do you think's next for Clara? And uh, will you keep in touch? Oh, yeah, we will keep in touch. We talk to Clara a lot at the moment um, in a group chat, and uh, she has been very sent some very nice messages about the uh, final episode that really, really moved me. Um, but I think what's next for Clara, I think my guess is she's making a lot of music. I can mm. tell you what's next. She's got a gig on New Year's Eve in Adelaide, which is pretty cool and big gig. So if you are in Adelaide, go follow her on Instagram and go watch her gig on New Year's Eve, a cool way to ring in the new year. I think she's got a really bright future in music creation. I would love to see her compose some stuff for like film and stuff. I think she'd be really fantastic at it because her music is so evocative and so moody and it creates atmosphere. I would love to see her do like some film composition. Yeah, definitely. But that's just me as a fan. That's not any speculation. That's me as a fan of Clara's music. Maybe the new um, Marvel movie. Who knows? You know, could be. Yeah. She could be scoring the new, like, Eternals 2 or something. Oh, that would be fantastic. 2 Eternal, 2 Furious. And of course, we are hoping to direct Eternals 2. Yeah, so and starring. That's why we're well. suggesting it. Yeah. We want to be the new Eternals. We are trying to get into the Mouse House, and we are trying to get into the Eternals <laughs> franchise. I want to mm. play Kingo's brother. Is that the <laughs> character? White Kingo. I want to play yeah. White Kingo. And who do you want to play, Alexi? I want to play Greek Kingo. We really connected with that character because he's played by a comedian, Kumail Nanjiani, <laughs> who is someone that we really admire. And we were like, we got to be the little Kingo We'd brothers. love to play Kingo triplets. And um, we should also clarify, neither of us have seen Eternals. No. And I've, seen, I've seen a couple of trailers. <laughs> well, we've seen, seen the trailers, some trailers. And we really think we could add to the franchise mm. if we were we- <laughs> writing, directing, starring as the Kingo triplets. And yes. Clara was to score it. Score the music. And we have seen the Kingo poster, the character poster yeah, of Kingo. I've seen That's that. how we know his name. Yeah. We know his name because we've seen the Kingo poster. I don't know any of the other names. <laughs> also, I don't know the other names. I know Angelina Jolie's in it, presumably yeah, playing Brian a Brian Tyree Henry's in it, I think. Oh, he's in it. Yeah. And um, yeah, awesome. a, couple of, a couple of the throne boys from Game of Thrones. The throne brothers. And that was the other <laughs> option. We wanted to do the throne brothers. We wanted to play the throne brothers. Um, I, like, well, like all great movies, uh, I think the best movies, you only mm. need to watch the story to feel the essence and to enjoy it. And then if you want to find out more, go to the cinema. A bit like listening to a band's song and then going to watch them live. Going to the movie is going to the live gig. Watching the trailer is listening to the single. (laughs) For five years, I only watched trailers and I learnt more about cinema than I ever um, learnt by the time-restricted form of going uh, for longer longer form. But, you know, there's... Mm. I was drawn back. I was drawn back to the, uh, you know, life. People say life's too short. It's never too short for movies. Okay, have you got your walking boots on? You're going to do an episode walkthrough. Uh, chapter mm-hmm. one, we'll call, we it, we'll call it Financial Crash. The boys struggle to budget a trip to Adelaide until the McLaren sports car emerges as the only cost-effective option. Couple of uh, fan questions related <laughs> to this wonderful sports car. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Z- uh, mm. Xavier RN question for Cam, who I believe was driving. How fast did you mm-hmm. take that whip? 
Uh, I'm going to be 100% honest with you here. That whip is not street legal. It has been lowered to such a degree that if you were to take it out onto the road and drive around, you will get arrested. (laughs) Yeah. So they were very clear to us, please do not take this over 10 kilometers per hour. (laughs) <laughs> and just drive around the block. So I know in the show we say that we drove to Adelaide. That's not true. That's just a we joke. We got a plane. We did get a plane. We got a plane. <laughs> we got a plane. We did just drive the whip around the block at 10 kilometers an hour. If we could drive to Adelaide in that car and it, it 10 kilometers an hour would have taken us five days. And so, it would have cost like $50,000 in fuel. Like yeah, it is so, yeah. it's a crazy car. And as soon as we, I was so stressed because even going down, like it's a big car to get out of the rental place was crazy. It was so hard, like these sharp corners. Cameron is a really, really good driver. And it was just, you know, it's, they're not, these cars are insane. Like how hard Mm. was it to see out the windshield to see like what your, um, your space of the car was to maneuver it? They're built for speed, not comfort, much like myself and um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was difficult it was hard i was stressed out i also didn't know what i was doing you see a bit of it in the thing oh i'm trying to indicate i accidentally Mm -hmm. turn on the windscreen wipers and then i don't know how to turn them off and the guy even said you have to take this ramp at an angle because the car is so low that going down the ramp will crunch the axle so cameron had to like go lead with the the left tire so Mm. it's kind of going down like a rhombus almost like it's not it's going down at a full angle and that is crazy as soon as we pull out on the road i'm pretty sure you can see it in the dock as well this giant ute pulls up less than a meter behind us and is like freaking rear-ending us the whole time so we've got like we're both sweating and i'm just trying to be silent to not get in cameron's way if my choice is anything we would not be in the car we'd have got stunt double to do this (laughs) (laughs) we meet the maker uh clara dillon we'll call this one clara reveals this to be uh an, an on an anonymous art project from a year 12 study the um the IT aspect being uh, her IT class and the artwork being uh, her art project. Both very successful uh, to varying levels, uh, but essentially just a, just, a, just a school project. Had you ever anticipated that this could be anything that would emerge out of the Australian <laughs> school system? No way. No way, dude. That it, it was one of those things that as soon as we heard it, we're like, that checks out. Because, I mean, we always still talk about, like, the high school assignments. And there was a very funny joke on Twitter that someone said that um, this crazy thing only got a B plus. How hard is school in Australia? <laughs> and all those final projects are, like, kind of people's first artistic endeavors, I'd say. Because they're usually in an elective class where it is, like, a... 
um, more of a vocational subject that you're doing or something that is more in line with your genuine interests. Like if you're doing drama, you might have to do a monologue. If you're doing society and culture, you might have to do something that is closer to a mighty big research project, like baby's first PhD or something like that, baby's first honors. And um, there are, I think people still hold those either dear to them or they are part of like their original creative footprint. So it made Mm -hmm. sense to me that it was just like, of course, this is a major work. It was when they were so young. They made it when they were so young. It's like the first excuse you have to make something bigger than uh, something that you just do over a night or a weekend or for the purpose of just that. It's it's bigger. And it just it clicked as soon as I heard this it. This year, I toured a stand-up show that was built around songs that I wrote when I was a teenager. So earlier this year, I was going through a lot of all my old teenage stuff and I found a bunch of my year 12 projects as well and um one of them that i found was i didn't end up doing this but i i had been writing a two-hander play for drama um with two characters in it and i think i eventually ended up abandoning that and just doing a shakespeare monologue for my final project but when i was reading through the play like however many pages of it survived, I just was laughing so loud. Like, oh my God, these are, there's just no disguising what your influences are when you're that age. Mm. It's so obvious what you are reading, what you are watching. Yes. My Absolutely. This play had two, two characters in it, two men. The characters' names were, one was called Jeff, the other one was called Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Jeff Buckley, just right there. Oh. I remember my at that time, my major English work was a short story. And I loved writing short stories. They were almost always based off movies that I was watching. I remember one was Serpico, mm. one was a Spaghetti Western, one was like... Um, like a you know a guy Ritchie almost mm. type thing, but then the one that I think is the first thing that is in my voice, like that I consider like my thing was my English major assignment, which was a creative writing piece that was a black comedy about a a Greek boy whose father wanted him to join the family business rather than pursuing like creative pursuits, and it were they were morticians, they were mm. like. Um, uh, and it was the first thing I wrote that was like, oh, this is original, but you can see all the stuff. And all of it is based around um, the song Father and Son by Gat Stevens. <laughs> and it was just like so much in there. And I can never go back and read it. I mean, so I don't, I have no idea where it is as well. But it was just like, it's all that stuff of just like your first, you know, taste and influences coming out, you know? I remember in year 12, my one of my best friends and my cousin, Jason, had written a creative writing piece for the English, you know, HSC thing. Remember how you had to write like a creative story in your final... Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I think that would have been it. That yeah. would have been it. It's just insane it's like, to think that the, the final essay of year 12 is you just have to make up a short story 
in the room and like in an examination in an they examination go, prepare an idea prepare an idea <laughs> and i had prepared this was my prepared idea i'd written it already out. yeah you and sort then you of have to incorporate it. some some in, themes like, some themes yeah they give you like some a, themes or a sentence or something and then mm. you have to incorporate that into your idea um yeah. but i remember jason's one his short story we read it a lot after school like years later we would just read it and laugh because it was about a dad it was about like a regular dad who was struggling raising his children and it was like the whole short story was from this dad's perspective he's getting his kids ready for school he's like they're fighting with him he's taking them to school then he like his car breaks down he has to fix the tire like he goes through a morning of bullshit Mm. and then he gets home and um he sits down and relaxes, and then in the final paragraph, it reveals that he is Superman. The final paragraph is like, I sit down, I take off my red cape, um, I'm relaxing in my blue suit, the S is shining on my chest, life is hard, even when you're Superman. And we just thought it was the funniest, most ridiculous fucking because it's like, what are you even trying to say with that? Like, it's sort of, it seems sort of creative, but it also says nothing. It's just like, yeah, life is hard, even when you're Superman. Wow. What? And this guy has gone on to direct and write the Man of Steel movies. He's written the Man of Steel franchise. He's written the Justice League. So it just shows. You yeah, never know which show, way life is going to turn. Show it has, It's actually way ahead of its time, like, to show the mm. human side of a superhero like that. He's maybe he's a genius. I think he's one of the greats. <laughs> Clara shares a lot of her of her art and creative uh, projects with you guys, so you get to witness a uh, performance, a full visual performance, and a guitar played with a, a bow and a, a synth pack attached. Uh, looks absolutely epic. How was that performance? Oh, it was unreal. Like I said, her music is so atmospheric and creates such mood. So it was just like a beautiful way to meet someone because uh, I I wish we got to play a bit more of it. Like I wish, you know, if we were longer form, it would have been so cool to like explore the music. And we talked to her about it a lot. And there's like this juxtaposition in there with like just this little edge of humor, this like kind of like sincerity and irony playing with each other, like through poetics I found like fascinating and so engrossing it was a really beautiful way to meet someone I would say to meet them and then immediately experience their art there's something about that that feels very revealing about like who you are as a person so we kind of got a really good sense of who she was like that she has like this really interesting sense of humor beneath a lot of emotional honesty and it was pretty um, it was amazing I, it was something i talked to her about in the interview but we just didn't put it into the documentary but the 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 meeting of like the bow which i can like you know bow is an acoustic or well, not acoustic but like a mm. an instrument like a string instrument uh, i used to play violin when i was a kid and the the bow interaction with a violin is something I consider a very organic sound. Like that's a sound that's made organically. And an electric guitar, it's a digital electrical sound. And I think combining those two together 
to me in that moment, it also feels like a sermon because she's performing just to us. Uh, she has like this kind of like almost uh, like Byzantinian style of like lyric that feel very like you're at church and the meaning of the organic and the digital felt like this moment of ascension where it's like this idea of technology meeting something organic that feel like those transhumanist ideas of ascensionism and like when I talked to her about that she was like oh I'm not conscious of that stuff but that probably is true that there is a connection to all my interests evolving into my music and I just found that like really fascinating did, did, did you get an encore where you were screaming throughout the hall so Cat Stevens Cat Stevens <laughs> Yusuf <laughs> Islam Yusuf <laughs> Islam um, by the way I looked up Yusuf Islam to see what his website is called do you know what it's called catstevens.com mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you gotta you gotta play with the hits sometimes, you know. But the Yusuf albums are good. The last Yusuf album was awesome. He's also Greek, right? He is Greek. Yeah, it w- we were interject between the songs, like because Cameron was obsessed with her kit, like her mm. guitar, and like it's a what kind of guitar is it, Cameron? Uh, it's an SG, really beautiful guitar. They're like you know, it's a classic rock guitar. Angus Young plays one, probably most famously. And yeah, the synth pad, like you mentioned, David, built into it, customized. I think that's awesome. Plus, she's playing with a bow. Plus, the whole thing is running through Ableton or something on her laptop. Mm -hmm. So, there's lots of other different effects and sounds being triggered on her guitar and on her vocal mic. And it was, yeah, it was fascinating. And plus, all of that is being synced to Mm. animation that's on the screens behind her at the lab where we were filming... So I had a lot of tech questions as yeah. a guitar nerd myself and, uh, you know, a bit of a tech head. I was, like, asking a lot of the practical things, like, how, excuse me, how are you doing that? He really was. Cameron already, <laughs> before before we went to Adelaide, as soon as we were introduced to Clara on the internet, he couldn't stop looking at pictures of her guitar and, like, the setup. Like, how does that work? He kept on going, like, oh, it's really cool. Like, even when we were off work and we were, like, at the apartment, he would be looking at the pictures going, like, this is really cool. This is such a crazy setup. It's so cool. And then as soon as she finished music, he starts asking her, like, the tech nerd questions. Yeah, how did you do like, this? in between the songs. <laughs> like, I've um... only seen that a couple of times. <laughs> I think I've only seen Matt Bellamy from Muse has a synth pad mm. attached to his guitar. So that's maybe the the one thing I think of. Tom Morello from Rage yeah. Against the Machine has one as well. Um, so it's rare it's not like it's a common thing but it's also they're my reference points so i was just kind of asking it, her boring guitar questions it looked it, it it looked class the scene where we first you walk in, in uh, you walk into the venue and clara's on stage with the projections behind and and, and with the bow uh, she looked godlike on stage you know what a reveal to see mm. a character with the mm. guitar and with the with, with with the bow like a sword and the synth pad and the lights it's a really powerful scene and uh yeah for for those lucky enough to be in adelaide on new year's eve that i assume they'll get to see that similar setup bringing in the new year daniel bradshaw has asked this question but it's come in through lots of other sources there seems to be a lot of confusion about the nature of the snacks 
whether they be a bacon, maize, wheat, carby, snack, or cheese. So let's cover the first part of Daniel's question. Were they, were they bacon or cheese snacks? I actually have no idea because I did not eat one. They were out on that desk for two weeks, <laughs> pretty much uncovered the whole time. Mm. My guess is they're either cheesels or cheese and bacon balls, but I think they're cheesels, which is like a crispy little treat thing. Not really a fan. They're not really my favorite, my cup of tea. So I didn't eat any of them. Did you try one? I think on day one, I had one or two of them, and I can confirm for everyone at home that they are cheesels. Cheesels. Thicker crust than a cheese and bacon ball. Cheesels are a famous ring-shaped snack with a finger-sized hole, great baked to crispy, crunchy perfection, and smothered with deliciously cheesy flavor. Mm, They're delicious. um, Yep, Cheezels is created by APT Snacks in 1970s and they continue to this day. Um, their parent company is Snack Brands Australia. So thanks so much, Cheezels, for mm. your ring-like corn-based cheese flavour. Mm, Who's APT Snacks? Mm. Who the know? hell is APT Snacks? <laughs> <laughs> The second part of Daniel Bradshaw's questions, I think you've answered. Were the were the snacks only a prop? And it sounds like they just became a prop due to a lack of yeah. uh, lack of interest. Yep, brother, I tell you, they're not even a prop. They were set dressing. They weren't. They weren't even to be touched <laughs> until I decided to chuck them out on screen at the end. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something. Um, gross about cheesels or cheese and bacon balls or Cheetos Mm. or any of these types of cheesy little cornstarch snacks is that they leave a residue on your fingers when you eat them, Mm. that kind of orangey, powdery, sticky residue that's like napalm. Um, And I just (laughs) can't stand it. It's one of the worst feelings on the planet to have those fucking cheesy fingery hands yuck makes me want to and puke. i feel like they they leave like a residue film all over your mouth as well <laughs> yeah Not really for me on set i'm snacking mainly on muesli bars and like uh nut bars i love eating freaking nuts and um, these nuts I love D's nuts. That's one of my favorite jokes. I'll be <laughs> honest. Whenever D's nuts comes up, I'm like really. F- I laugh every time. It's my favorite joke. joke on the planet. It's so funny. Yeah. How you Cam like? And I D's want to make nuts. a documentary like the Aristocrats, but it's all D's nuts jokes. Uh, I want to reshoot Goodwill Hunting scene for scene, but instead of saying, <laughs> "Do you like how apples? Do you like- how do you like these apples?" He says, "Do you like CDs?" <laughs> How would you like to see these nuts? Oh, yes. Very good. And it makes sense because it's the 90s. CDs are really popular. I, there's no way a guy's going to be like, actually, I prefer streaming. in the 90s, yeah. He is going to say, yeah, I love CDs. It's how I consume most of my media. Yeah. Yeah, that would be um, a good movie to watch. <laughs> in, in the UK, those sort of cheesy snacks, we call them Watsits, and uh, they leave that same orange residue and... Um, I have a similar feeling to yourself. But if ever you're lucky enough to spot out in public and you see somebody that's got that residue on their fingers and you know, they know. Um, yep. you know, yep. Usually there's a sad story behind there's a, it. Also, there's an Australian <laughs> snack that's very similar called Burger Rings. 
And I way prefer that. No residue whatsoever. No residue, different flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! It's a burger-flavored snack. It tastes like exactly Allegedly. like a burger. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, it's a burger-flavored snack. <laughs> I might have a burger ring today. I fucking love burger rings. God, I might have a burger. Oh, wow. Cut it into a ring shape, brother. You got yourself a little ring. I always get my burgers and get a ring punch and punch them into 15 mm. <laughs> burger rings. And I go, yum. That's how I like it. I just wear my burgers as a ring. <laughs> just get my, get, get my finger. <laughs> jam it in. Just jam it but, in. And also during the time of filming, because we had a lettuce shortage, they had to take mm. the lettuce flavoring out of burger rings. Yeah, was the that one was the thing hard part. That was the hardest thing to live with. <laughs> They had to extract the lettuce yeah. flavor to make you not miss burgers too much. <laughs> yeah. It was the hardest part about making I, heard, I did hear about it. It, it, came, it came in the news in the UK. There was like burger yeah. rings were threatened with a class yeah. action lawsuit about saying it, <laughs> it, it's no longer legally acceptable to call it a burger ring because of the, mm-hmm. the lack of yeah. a lettuce yep. presence in the taste. So it was quite yeah. a feat. They had to put cabbage extracts. They had to put a cabbage extract in burger rings. What's next for the Finding series? Oh, we do start some research on a new project very soon. Yeah. And we do have the website where we're taking mystery submissions. So if anyone knows of something that would be cool for us to research or they'd like to hear our take on a on a classic unsolved mystery they can go to findingyeezers.com we did get the dot com and uh send us a send us a mystery submission there yeah please do the more detail the better and even uh you can email us at findingmysteries3030 at gmail.com so this brings us to the end of my questions and it brings us to the end of six episodes and what a satisfying conclusion well played you found Jesus. You found Clara. We realise that Ascensionism is a creation shared by all. An anonymous art project that opened up a whole new community and showed us all a new way of living. So, gents, I think I've just got one more question to close today's show. As successful investigators, third time in a row, how do you both feel? God, how do I feel? I feel... So happy that it's all out there, mm. and um, I'm so glad people get to watch it all and binge it all, and you know, ride the roller coaster that we've already ridden. Um, and I feel energized because I know that in a week or so, Alexi and I are going to start researching a new mystery. So I'm feeling pumped up on the positivity that we've received and ready to dive into the next one. But, of course, with that energy comes a brand new fear. So, I reckon mm. I get about 24 hours of relaxing and thinking, oh, God, thank God it's all out. People can enjoy it. And then, oh, fuck, now we have to find a new one that's good too. Mm. Yeah. I feel really – honestly, I feel immense pride right now. Um, I think that – and I know that's a sin. That who mm. am I but a sinner? But it's been so nice. We've received so many nice messages from people um, that this story touched. Uh, that, and I'll be honest, I was very, very moved by that. Like we got some messages yesterday, and like I just got a bit overwhelmed by them, and like how how much this story kind of like spoke to people, and like getting those messages. 
I don't think that was something they really anticipated. Like, you know, people have been connected to the Finding series. Like, and it really speaks to, like, something to the in them. Like, that's very personal and very deep. And I think that we're never really fully conscious of that while we're making it. And then when we're kind of putting it together, maybe a little bit. But when you get those responses from people that are, like, sharing their experience with you, I... I it's something that I don't know if I'll ever get used to because it's just so it's really nice like I don't know how else to say it my god my google home just started talking to me I don't know what's going on it freaked the shit out of me but um (laughs) but um yeah it just it's so good I was really overwhelmed by it yesterday and really really moved and it means a lot to me and I cherish the people that um that send those messages. So thank you to everyone who's been watching and everyone that's shared that's shared this with us. Really, really sincere thank you from Cameron and I. It would have been great if your Google was like, finding users is actually not that good. <laughs> <laughs> finding users, two stars. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, it's fake. It's not by a real the way, documentary. It sucks. <laughs> what a what a lovely way to wrap up today's show um, and we want to thank you so much david for being a part of this and for moderating it mm-hmm. i think it's been for me it's been incredibly entertaining to watch your graduation yes. from suspect to friend to collaborator to interviewer and it's been mm-hmm. exciting to be underneath the microscope from your analytical perspective and uh, also, your, our audience should know that you are an incredibly talented creator yourself mm-hmm. and you have many projects on the go. Is there anything that you would like to plug and uh, take this opportunity to tell our audience about? Oh, absolutely. Thank, thanks a lot. I mean, I've long been an advocate of the works of Todd Noy through the Noy Estate. So check out mm. thenoyestate.com where you can read all the classics. Uh, you'll also find a new novel on there by VR pioneer Robert Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually, through this website, we're making it available for free. Uh, so that's definitely worth a read. So if you like simulated realities, think Groundhog Day meets Inception. And uh, you will find all of the Noi mm. classics on there as well. The new one from Robert Swift is called Back, right? I've just got my hard copy and I've started reading it. It's awesome. It's called Back and it is wild. It will pop your perception of the universe um, very much in theme with the simulated reality type discussion that we've been having. And your music as well. If you like music, check check out the band Explorers Society. We're on Spotify. Um, very nice, gentle piano orchestral groove it's beautiful that album from explorer society that is like your um what is what would you call your group like is it uh it's a small orchestral group right yeah it's a it's an an ever present ever growing expanding um collective uh based in cambridge and people come and join and play and um yeah we just make cinematic kind of music very nice stuff it's really beautiful. That album from Explorer Society is so nice. It's beautiful. Spheres, right? That's right. Spheres. Beautiful. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. It's really, it's really beautiful. You are an incredibly creative soul, David. You're a wonderful interviewer. It's been, and you're a great friend. And yeah. you know, I'll t- to paraphrase um, Bill Murray. 
when he was fighting backstage at SNL with Chevy Chase and he clocked him on the jaw and he pointed at him and said, you're a medium talent. I would like to clock you on the jaw right now and say, you're actually a mm-hmm. um, huge talent. You are You're huge, humongous talent. talent. You are huge, humongous so talent. So big, too big. So, so huge. You. Too, you are a star. Too kind, gents. Well, it's been a pleasure interviewing you. I look forward to more stuff, and I'll see you in the group chat. <laughs> see you in the group chat, brother. <laughs> What an exciting and amazing episode with one of the great interviewers and archivists of our generation, um, David Alat. Also, it must be said, a presenter and a host, much like yourself. Much like me. We are co-presenters of this podcast in a way. Yeah. He uh, is great. Check out all these uh, stuff that he was plugging at the end there, Mm thenoyestate.com. Check out his Music Explorer Society. Check out Robert Swift's book. All in the show notes. So you can click straight through, as is all of Clara's stuff as well. You can click straight through to her stuff and discover her music. Um, Also, you can click straight through to our website, findingyeezus.com, where you can submit a mystery and pick Mm -hmm. up some merch. We've Mm -hmm. got a couple of things left. The caps went really fast. The tote bags are going fast. We've got some pins and stuff. So, I mean, the more you buy, the more likely we are to do a re-up of caps and stuff as well. Mm. So, you know, check them out. We're a very small operation, but it's been very cool to see people want to rep Finding Jesus on their bodies. Yes, yes. You know what we should offer is like tattoo stencils so people can actually get the logo tattooed on their body somewhere. That would be cool. That, I don't think that's cool, but um, if you do do that, you do it without my blessing. You are very conservative when it comes to things like tattoos <laughs> and smoking and stuff yeah. like that. I think it should you be done in the privacy of one's home. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and please submit mysteries. As we hinted at mm. during this episode, we are currently investigating some new stuff at the moment, so we're taking submissions, so go on findingease.com. And send us send us your ideas or email us at findingmysteries3030 at gmail.com. That would be fucking awesome. We're always looking for new stuff to research. What else do we want to plug? Um, um, that's it. I would say we're actually coming up on 200 episodes of Total Reboot. So we're going to do a big celebration for 200 episodes. Uh, we're not quite sure what it will be, but it will be a very spectacular episode. Um, mm. And then we'll be shifting things into the future. So stay tuned. Yeah. Stay subscribed to the feed. Uh, very, very cool stuff coming from Cameron and I. We are in a creative purple patch at the moment where everything we are doing is exciting to us and to hopefully you. <laughs> hey, also, if you're in Tasmania on November 17, I'm doing my stand-up show Electric Dreams in Hobart. And November 18, I'm doing it again in Launceston. So I'd love it if you could come along to those shows. That's kind of pretty much all I need to plug. Um, mm-hmm. Apart from my little mouth, because I've been talking too much. And my yeah, freaking so- ass. Wow, because you've been flirting too much. But yeah. thank you so much to everyone for joining us on the Finding Jesus journey. Honestly, ay ay ay, it's been so nice. It's been really, really nice. The response has whelmed us overly so. Um, so <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. We really love and cherish you. And um, your messages have been so sweet. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Cool. Yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs>